everybody. Welcome to an April 7th edition of the We Tackle Life podcast. I'm Bruce Hooley. Really glad to have you along. For those watching on YouTube, on Facebook, on Twitter via Periscope, and listening via our various podcast platforms, I'm happy to be with you today. <clears throat> we are going to talk a little NCAA championship, a little Buckeye football quarterback related, because who really cares about anything else? If that position is not taken care of, then Everything is going to go sideways for OSU this fall, but I don't see that on the horizon. Talk a little bit about MLB moving the All-Star game out of Atlanta, and we'll get to a faith portion of the podcast at the end, as we always do. Reminder, you can send me an email, wetacklelife at gmail.com, wetacklelife at gmail.com. And you can also review the podcast, and I want to thank those of you who have on iTunes. That's very helpful. It's not helpful... Uh, in any way that's more important than it allows me to engage with you and to see what you like and to see what you don't like. I get uh, once in a while, I get a one-star review, which, you know, that's all right. Uh, all feedback is relevant, but I do pay attention to some more than others. So let's get started today with a reminder that spring is the time where you start to get more active and with more activity comes some aches and some pains. I've found an amazing product that relieves my pain. It doesn't last forever. It's not a cure. CBD works. Chris Spielman put me on to it when we did the podcast together. He uh, put me in touch with the great people at CBD Health Collection. They're out of Granville, Ohio. They have a retail store in Granville, but they have an awesome website, and they're set up to take your orders on the website. Here's the important part. Besides the fact that it'll relieve your pain for, I'd say, three to five hours, takes your pain away. You say, well, that's not very long. No, it is long. I mean, it'll get you to sleep. It'll get you through whatever task you're doing, your workout, whatever. And the other part of it is it's way more convenient than icing. It's way better for you, a natural product like CBD, which comes from the hemp plant. No, you won't test positive for marijuana. Then like drugs. So I love it. And I'm so thankful that I've found it. And what I use is the warming salve. Uh, CBD Health Collection Warming Sap. It's amazing. You get 15% off if you use my name, Bruce, as your promo code, either on the phone, online, or in person in their store in Granville. Say hi to Rick, to Ashley, to all the people there. Tell them you heard about it on the podcast. And um, just use it, man. It works. They have freeze gel. They have tinctures. They have gummies. They have all sorts of products, including patches. If you got a, like a bad back, go out to play golf, put the patch on your back. Play golf with the patch on your back. It's much better than Salon Paws or some heat patch. This actually has like a medicinal element to it. and It'll get you through your round of golf. CBDHealthCollection.com. CBDHealthCollection.com. All right. Well, congrats to Baylor. Woo! Baylor. Wow. Were they good against Gonzaga? I feel bad for Gonzaga. I got no issue with Gonzaga since I, uh, I did pick them to win in my bracket, but I always get smoked in my bracket by my daughters, who, of course, use a, a very highly analytical approach to picking the bracket. Uh, one of them will say, Dad, what are the school colors of Iowa State? And I'll say, um, red and yellow. And she'll say, what are the school colors of North Texas? And I'll say, uh, I don't know, aqua and black. Oh, well, I like aqua and black. I'll pick North Texas. Now, I'm making that example up, but not the parameters of it. That's how she picks her bracket. And the other one says, Dad, what is the mascot at uh, Iowa State? And I'll say, uh, the Cyclones. And then she'll say, okay, so what is the mascot of Ohio State's the Buckeyes, right, Dad? And I'll say, yeah, it's the Buckeyes. And she'll say, well, a cyclone would throw a Buckeye all over the place. So I'm picking Iowa State. That would have been a bad pick a couple years ago. But that's how she frames it. She wants to know who the mascots are. And she'll go, oh, a lion, a lion against an eagle. Well, that's a mismatch. She doesn't pay any attention to the seating. And those two always finish first and second in the family uh, bracket contest. Dad's a little salty that the girls can't fathom that picking a game in the Sweet 16, getting a team to the Sweet 16, and getting them beyond the Sweet 16 is harder than just picking a first-round win. So we only give one point per correct pick. So that's my excuse for why I never win the home bracket contest. The other daughter, who's like the super analytical one, picks the seating. Like, straight chalk all the way through. And she usually does very, very well. Uh, so that's the Hooli bracket window uh, through which you can look and see why I never win. And one of my daughters had Baylor uh, because they're a bear, right? And she doesn't even know what a zag is. Uh, so, yeah, 
uh, Baylor wins it, and it was a it was like a bear against a whatever a zag is, because Baylor made shots. Now I know there's all this narrative, and some of it's true because I'm always I'm Mister Two Things Can Be True at Once. There's this narrative that I knew was going to happen. Ten minutes into the game, I could have given you the post game narrative. Gonzaga overmatched athletically. Gonzaga played nobody. That's why Baylor won. Okay, that's part of why Baylor won. That is part of why Baylor won. Because Drew Timmy was surrounded. Baylor can really defend. Quickness, speed, man, they they defend. And Drew Timmy wasn't able to get the nifty, footworky type free shots underneath. The layups originally for Gonzaga weren't there. Baylor's high-flying, blocking shots, all this stuff. But to me, the dominant narrative in the game is pretty simple. What is the object of basketball? Bas- ball in basket, right? Baylor started six for six from three. Baylor's up 11 to one. Gonzaga, I don't think, ever got it under nine after that or not not in the second half. Baylor made shots. People look at the final box and go, wow, they only shot like you know 43% from three. Not when the game was on the line. They won the game by shooting threes well, and they shot threes well all season until they got into the Big 12 tournament and the first two rounds of the NCAA tournament. But, man, Butler and Teague and Mitchell and whew, they just like they couldn't miss. And they played like a confident team that expected to win. I think Scott Drew probably sold them on the fact, hey, look, these guys can't hang with you athletically. These guys can't hang with our defense. And we're going to make shots. And Baylor shot it great against Houston. So they went out there on the floor with every reason to be confident. I do think another factor was that Gonzaga was emotionally spent from UCLA. Sure, they're back up. But then you get out there and you get out and you think you feel fine. Like, you've done this, right? Working out, you think you feel fine. You start out on a bike ride or a run or whatever. And, oh, man, it's just like hard to get going. But if you can get through those first five minutes, you're okay. Well, Gonzaga got through those first five minutes and they're down 15. Well, now the mountain is a lot higher. So that, to me, is why Baylor won the game. Three-point shooting, early, big lead, debilitating emotional impact, and then they can just flat out get in your grill and defend you. Okay, so congrats to Baylor. Congrats to Gonzaga, too. That's a great year for Gonzaga. They're not they're not a phony team. Uh, they're, they're a good team. Here's what wouldn't surprise me with Gonzaga. I admire their team culture. You know, I really do. And I know Jalen Suggs is going to be like a top five pick in the NBA draft and all that. And I don't know Jalen Suggs at all. But I wouldn't be shocked if Jalen Suggs came back to school. Drew Timmy, I wouldn't be shocked if he came back to school. Gonzaga's got an unbelievable recruiting class coming in, and I'm sad to say that I think they're going to get Chet Holmgren, but I'd rather Gonzaga would get Chet Holmgren than anybody other than Ohio State. So if they get Chet Holmgren, 7, 2, 3, 4, somewhere in there to play inside, and he plays like Gonzaga plays, up and down and shoots threes, and and they have a five-star kid who's I think 6'6 six, six coming in wow <clears throat> they're gonna be something so I just think the mission of getting Gonzaga's first ever national championship maybe talks those guys into coming back now maybe they're just you know money hungry and they can't wait to play in a miserable woke league like the NBA and they want to go out there and you know just dunk and shoot threes okay fine personal choice whatever you want but I think college basketball still has a lot to offer. By the way, if we get a uh, name and license next year, they probably make some money at Gonzaga. Um, so that's what I think of the championship game. I'm more interested in, does Ohio State have the stuff to win a national title? Now, I have a friend, a Twitter friend, uh, who's very intuitive. He'll know who he is. I'm not going to mention his name because I don't want to out him because, oh, he's friends with Bruce Hooley. Ah. This guy's very intuitive. He's not the biggest Chris Holtman fan. He's not the biggest fan of Ohio State's roster. This gentleman has proven to me over the years that he knows what he's talking about, knows his basketball. He is very, very critical of OSU hoops. I'm not as critical because I believe there's more than one way to win a championship. Now, here's what I see, and it's the same thing that this friend of mine sees when I look at Ohio State and Baylor. Those are two different teams Athletically, 
Ohio State has really good basketball players, and they can do a lot of things that basketball players need to do to be successful. E.J. Liddell's very good. He's a tough matchup at the five. <clears throat> it's a mismatch when he's on defense at the five. Kyle Young is a is a nifty, inventive, useful player. Kyle Young will get you 10 and 8. You don't have to run a thing for him. Sometimes he'll get you 16 and 8, and you don't have to run a thing for him. So Kyle Young's a good player, and he is coming back. Uh, I don't know that we ever saw the best of Justice suing. He had some injuries, and he was going through an adjustment period. I would, from from Pac-12, soft to Big Ten physical, Pac-12 good basketball, but just the different style of basketball. You have to learn how to play when you're getting bumped and nothing's getting called. So I think we're going to see a better Justice Suing next year, and he's a tough matchup. I like Justice Suing best when he's getting into the lane and doing kind of his Drew Timmy thing, where he pivots around and frees himself up for that little eight-footer. <clears throat> okay, who else? Dwayne Washington. Look, man, there are going to be nights you love Dwayne Washington, and there are going to be nights where Dwayne Washington <laughs> frustrates you, Okay. But the thing I say about Dwayne Washington all the time is he's not afraid to miss the shot. And you say, I don't want guys missing shots, but you need somebody who's willing to take it. He's made a lot of big shots. He missed a lot of big shots. He missed three this year at the end of games. Maybe he's due. Maybe next year he'll be three for three. Who knows? The point guard position, very difficult if you don't have a great point guard. Now, is Michi Johnson a great point guard? There's no reason why he can't be. No reason why he can't be. He's got all the dribbling skills. He's got the shooting skills. He's got the athletic skills. And he's got, I think, the coaching. And he's got the talent around him. He doesn't have to run, you know, he doesn't have to, like, score 20 a game. I hope he doesn't want to score 20 a game because that wouldn't be great. I don't know what kind of a defender he is. He'll be a better defender. By the way, you might have heard, Michi Johnson was supposed to be a senior in high school. That's a big joke among the Ohio State press corps because every time Ohio State's on a national game, which is every game, Somebody from ESPN or CBS or Fox thinks it's like harps and angels should start singing when they go, oh, by the way, did you know Michi Johnson skipped his final year of high school? Yes, we all know that. Thank you. So what about Jamari Wheeler at point? Um, I think, you know, two-year starter, maybe three-year starter at Penn State. He might be the point guard. I hope Michi's ego can take that if that's the case. But I think both those guys are going to play a lot. All right. Malachi Branham, he's going to help him. Some think he might start by the end of the year. I'm not too sure about that, but Malachi Branham can help him. I think Ohio State has the depth to press next year. I would love it if they would come up with some kind of a press. Can they make enough threes to win a national title? Sure. Can they defend well enough to win a national title? Not sure about that one. Not sure about that one. Don't know how much Wheeler changes the dynamic by pressuring the ball out front. Don't know if Michi can press, cha uh, pressure the ball out front. Don't know if uh, Suing and Liddell, and I didn't mention Seth Towns yet, so we'll throw Seth in here. They're all kind of similar-ish guys in size along with Branham. Are they a team that can switch every screen? That makes you good defensively if you can. Maybe. They need to get a lot better defensively, a lot better defensively. Wheeler will help. A big inside would help just as a deterrent to crashing in like ORU did, going to the basket all night long. If they get uh, Efton Reed out of IMG Academy, they'll have a shot blocker. Will Efton Reed who's already a year out of high school. We played on IMG's graduate team. Will Efton Reed be okay coming in here and not being the focal point of the offense and scoring 20 a game? He better be because he's not going to be the focal point of the offense. But if he comes in here on the one-and-done plan and he's scoring six a game and he gets frustrated and he pouts, then that's subtraction by addition. I would assume you know the coaches will be all over that and present a realistic viewpoint of Efton Reed's future to him and if he picks here then hopefully he's got either he's a super player and he can come in here and be a Hunter Dickinson right off the bat or 
he come in here and he'll be like, no, it's all right. Suing will be gone next year. Towns will be gone next year. Liddell may be gone next year. Washington will be gone next year. 2022 is my year. I don't know what Afton Reed is thinking. I don't even know if he's coming to Ohio State yet. If he doesn't, in my opinion, they need to transfer big. And the guy I'd take right now and wouldn't look back is, you know, John Harar from Penn State. Okay, so that's where I think Ohio State fits into the grand scheme of things. I gave you the promo code for CBD Health Collection, 15% off when you use the promo code BRUCE, to get your CBD products at CBDHealthCollection.com. You also get 15% off at Hemisphere Coffee Roasters. There's the sign. <clears throat> when you use the promo code We Tackle Life, the name of the podcast, We Tackle Life. Great coffee at Hemisphere Coffee Roasters. Here's their newest flavor, bourbon barrel aged coffee. Really good stuff. Uh, everything's backwards when you do it online. Down is up, up is down. There it is. There it is. There it is. Bourbon barrel aged coffee. Okay. Uh, it's excellent. Hunter's Blend, House Blend, really good. I had a friend stay over on Saturday night. He tasted Hemisphere Coffee for the first time Sunday morning, and he goes, wow, you weren't kidding about this stuff, were you? I'm like, no, I wasn't. So, HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. Use the promo code WETACKLELIFE in all caps. All right, let's move to Buckeye Football. And they're going to scrimmage Saturday, and I don't know if guys are going to be allowed in. I'm not going. I'm so glad I don't have to cover spring football. Um, I just never found it super relevant. But it's relevant this year because we have a quarterback competition. So let's see if Ryan Day, and we won't know until eh, midway through the season, we'll get a little bit of a window on uh, Oregon game day, second game of the season. <clears throat> let's see if Ryan Day picks the right quarterback. Let's see if Ryan Day picks a quarterback. My experience with Ohio State quarterback competitions goes back to when I started covering the team in John Cooper's first year in 1988. Wasn't much of a competition that year. Greg Fry was the sophomore who had played some as a freshman. Nick Cochran and a guy you might have heard of, Kirk Herbstreet, were true freshmen that fall. Nobody came early and enrolled early in spring back in those days. So it was Fry's job. And we didn't really have a quarterback competition until Kirk Herbstreet's senior year when Kent Graham transferred in from Notre Dame. Now, did uh, so Herbie won the job, and then they jockeyed around between Herbie and Kent Graham. They played Kent Graham some, they played Herbie some. I would, qualify, I would classify that as a failure to decide and a failure to commit. Herbie's skill set was different than Kent Graham's. Kent Graham was a thrower. Herbie was, a, at best, an option quarterback. Yes, people ran option back then. Who could throw? So <clears throat> then they just never committed to an offense. They never committed to either guy, and they never committed to an offense that fully displayed the skills of either guy. And this is what happens when you try to play two guys. So let's fast forward from there to 1994. 94? 93, excuse me. 1993. Sophomore Bob Hoying and transfer from Arizona State Brett Powers. Hoying made the mistakes a first-year starting quarterback makes. And when Ohio State grew impatient with those mistakes, they brought in Brett Powers. So what does that do to a young quarterback's confidence? It didn't help it, okay? So what you do in that situation is you bring in a guy to cover the mistakes of the guy you're starting because Bob Hoying was the future of the program. And by bringing in a guy to cover for the mistakes of the guy you've taken out, what do you induce the guy you're taking out to do? Lose confidence and therefore make more mistakes. <clears throat> so now we move to 1996. Joe Germain and Stanley Jackson. And Stanley Jackson was going to be the quarterback, and he was a mobile quarterback who could run and who could throw better than people gave him credit for, but he couldn't throw as well as Joe Germain. And Joe couldn't run as well as Stan. And so they both offered something that the team benefited from. And what happened with Hoying and, and Brett Powers? At Michigan in the final game of the year, 
they had a day where both of them struggled. Hoying struggled. They brought in Powers. Powers struggled. They went back to Hoying. Sorry, confidence shot. Okay, shall we restate uh, what happened in 1996? As they pulled Stan Jackson and continued to play him but didn't commit, like Joe Germain was clearly playing better than Stan midway through the year. And it was time to elevate Joe Germain to the starting quarterback. Sorry, Stan, but it was. And they didn't want to because Stan had a dominant personality. And the fear was, I don't know if there was any basis in the fear, but the fear was Stan would take half the team with him uh, mentally if he were demoted to backup. And I don't know if Stan would have taken that like, okay, this is what's best for the team, it's fine. My inclination knowing Stan then is no, (laughs) but I don't know. Only Stan knows that. So they continued to play Stan, start Stan, and they kept kept inserting Joe earlier and earlier and earlier, and Joe kept playing. What do you do if you give somebody more and more and more? That guy plays better, and the guy you're taking out plays worse because his confidence is damaged, and the guy behind him's confidence grows. Shocker. So they get down to the Michigan game, and I remember distinctly John Cooper saying, we can't afford to waste any series in this game. We can't waste any series in this game. So they started Joe. And Joe, now starting, felt what? Pressure he'd never felt before. Yes, Michigan. And we can't afford to waste any series. And I'm starting. Ah! And Joe wasn't terrible, but he missed a throw in that game that they needed early. A touchdown. Crossing route. Didn't get it. Got only field goals. Lost the game. Lost the game. 13 to 9, lost the game. Cost him the national title. Okay, so now that's what happened in 96. 97, they did the same thing. They rotated him. Joe and Stan, Joe and Stan, Joe and Stan, to the point of absurdity in the Sugar Bowl where they put Joe and Stan in on alternating plays because Steve Spurrier had done it with Florida in their season-ending game against Florida State, and it worked for Spurrier. It did not work for Ohio State. Now, let me say this. In defense of John Cooper, you could have played either quarterback, and that quarterback could have played his absolute best that day, and it wouldn't have mattered. Florida State had dudes, and they crushed Ohio State. I don't know how Joe Germain got up from the sandwich that he took in that game. Man, he got hit. Oh. So anyway, 96, they went south. Because they couldn't decide, 97, eventually it ended bad for them because they couldn't decide. Michigan game at the end of the year, they had Stan in at the end trying to make something happen, and Stan is scrambling around, scrambling around, scrambling around, and he got desperate to get rid of the ball, and he got rid of the ball. Only problem was he threw it to Andre Weathers, who's a cornerback for Michigan, and he ran it the other way for a touchdown, and they lost the game. So when you're chasing, who's hot? Is this guy ready? Is that guy ready? Now we can only run this because this guy's in. Now we can only run that when that guy's in. It always goes bad. Always. Always goes bad. Okay, so there's the Cooper quarterback uncertainty. Now let's get to the Tressel quarterback uncertainty. Okay. So Tress had Steve Belisari. And Belisari's the quarterback his first year. And then right before they're ready to play Illinois in the next-to-last regular season game, Belisari gets a DUI like the night or two before the game. Well, you can't play him against Illinois. So they play Craig Krenzel and Scott McMullen. And Krenzel played the best. McMullen actually went in first, or started, I think. So they lose the Illinois game on a quarterback error at the end. I think Krenzel threw an interception in the shadow of the goal line. Illinois ran it in for touchdown. But Krenzel played well. So Krenzel got the start at Michigan. And Krenzel won the Michigan game. The game that everybody says Tressel predicted they would win on the night he was hired, which he did not do. He just said, you'll be proud of our guys. We'll play hard, whatever. Okay. Okay. So Krenzel wins the Michigan game. And what do they do in the Outback Bowl? They go back to Belisari. Like, why? So they go back to Belisari, and Belisari played like crap until the end, and then he started rallying him, rallying him. They might have actually started Krenzel, but they brought Belisari in, and Belisari rallied him. And then Belisari did what Steve you know, kind of often did. He 
he kind of had the little bit of the Stan Jackson thing in him where he always believed he could make a play and often he could make a play, but sometimes in endeavoring to make a play, he made a bad play. And the South Carolina took advantage of a Belisari uh, interception and got in position for the game-winning field goal. Okay, so that was a they didn't handle that well. They didn't handle it perfectly. Justifiably? Sure, you can always make a case for why you're doing it. I'm not saying they were dumb. I'm just saying it didn't work out ideally. So then we get to 2005. And in 2005, 2004, we had a quarterback competition between Justin Zwick and Troy Smith. Justin Zwick and Troy Smith. And Justin Zwick won the job. And then they go to Iowa. And first of all, they were really struggling to score touchdowns. They won at North Carolina State because they kicked like five field goals and won the game. And Justin wasn't very good. And they were just, they were not a very good team. Don't lay it all on Justin. They were not a very good team. But they brought Troy Smith in at Iowa when they were getting pounded 31 to 6. And Troy was, you know, better probably than Justin. And then Trust, to his credit, said, you know, I just, we need a change. So he went with Troy Smith. And wow, did they take off. They beat Michigan. Troy was phenomenal in a win over Michigan at home. Uh, and then Troy, stupidly, uh, took money and broke NCAA rules and got suspended from the Outback Bowl. From the Alamo Bowl. I'm sorry, Alamo Bowl. And they cobbled together a, an offense with Ted Ginn playing some quarterback and Justin Zwick playing quarterback, and they won that game. And then the next year, they went into the year, and it was like Troy had a two-game suspension, and they were bringing Troy back. And, you know, look, I mean, you can you have to either – you have to commit. They were playing Texas, Vince Young, Texas, 2005, Ohio Stadium. And it was important in that game. We're going to go back to the same phenomenon I mentioned before. When you move, take a quarterback out, you damage his confidence. So in that game, instead of putting Troy in and saying, Troy served his penance, Troy's our quarterback, they started Zwick and the famous yo-yoing of quarterbacks, trying to you know time the market, as it were. <clears throat> they get down to the end of the game. Ohio State has the ball. They have a chance to drive down and win the game. And there's this famous, you know, I see it in my mind. I see Zwick and Troy standing next to Tress on the sidelines, and I'm and my wife, I went to a wedding that night, so I couldn't go to the game. And my wife said, he's got to put Troy in. And I said, he's going to put Zwick in. He's, that's who Tress is. He's going to put Zwick in. He's, his, Zwick's brother was his quarterback at Youngstown State. He's going to give Zwick one more chance. If Zwick wins a game, he's going, to like, you know, he's going to roll with Zwick. And he put Justin in, and unfortunately, Justin's gift was not scrambling. And he scrambled, and as soon as he took off on the scramble, as soon as he took off on a scramble, I don't know why, I said, fumble coming. And sure enough, he fumbled, and Texas recovered. And then Troy took over, and Troy, you know, never gave it back. So you could certainly argue they lost um, the Texas game because their quarterback selections didn't work out well. So that's my experience with quarterbacks. I'm trying to think, did Tress have any other uh, quarterback situations? He rolled with Troy. And then after Troy, well, Todd Beckman and Terrell Pryor. I mean, he, I think he promised Pryor he would start. He, he really, I think, screwed over Todd Beckman. He blamed the blowout loss at USC on Todd Beckman. It was a way for Tress to deflect from his own arcane offense and the fact that USC just had a much better team. They get beat at USC. I think it was 35 to 6. Ray Malaluga had a pick six. They put Pryor in. He wasn't very good. And, you know, their record in 2008, 2008, would have been exactly the same with, I think, would have, wouldn't have, I'll put it this way. Their record in 2008 with Terrell Pryor playing quarterback was not any better than it would have been with Todd Beckman playing quarterback. And it was probably worse. It was probably worse. It just was. So, we all know what the toll was of elevating Terrell Pryor and excusing his mistakes and allowing him to run roughshod over the program. So, that was not a great choice. Okay, so now we get to Urban Meyer. And Urban's one and only quarterback decision, he whiffed. He whiffed. You either bring back Cardale Jones and make him the quarterback in 2015, or you tell Cardale, look, you got the job because JT was injured, and we're going to roll with JT. He had a team ranked number one in a preseason with a probably the best collection of talent, among the best collections of talent Ohio State's ever had. 
And the reason that team didn't win the national championship was because of the uncertainty at quarterback. It just was. So I just outlined, what, eight, nine scenarios on quarterback? And did any of them work out ideally for Ohio State? No. What is the common thread between why they didn't work out well at quarterback? The common thread is indecision and lack of commitment. So I don't know and wouldn't presume to tell Ryan Day if Jack Miller, C.J. Stroud, or Kyle McCord should be his quarterback. But I will flat out tell Ryan Day, pick one and stick with him until he proves that he's not the right guy for the job. And if you decide to make a change, make it and don't look back. Make it and don't look back because that's never worked out well for Ohio State. And I don't think it's coincidental that it's never worked out well because quarterback is a different position than any position in sports. It is the hardest position to play in any sport in terms of leadership and all that. Goalie in soccer, you're naked on an island. You don't have anybody around to help you. But you're not like running the team, leading the team, orchestrating things from the goalie position like you are at quarterback. So that's why I say quarterback is the hardest position to play in sports, and you have to be a leader, and the people on the team have to look at you as a leader, and a leader is not somebody who's sharing the job with someone else. So pick one and stick one. Pick and stick. That's what I would say. Pick and stick. All right. Now, one last word on sports before we get to the faith portion of the podcast. But first, as Ben Shapiro says, a sponsor reminder that auiinfo.com is the site to go to to do your health insurance checkup. I don't know how much longer President Biden will allow the open enrollment window, so you can change your health insurance right now if you're a individual schmuck like Bruce Hooley. Companies can always change. AUI Info can help you line up a great benefits package to attract the best employees. If you're in business for yourself, you're considered a group of one. That's how the government looks at you. You can always change your health insurance, but for your average, ordinary Joes and Joannes, you can only change it during open enrollment. That's typically in late November, early December. It is now open. So take advantage of it by allowing the free experts at auiinfo.com. Do you hear me say free? It's free. The health insurance companies pay them. They're competitive. Every insurance company, they'll, they, they'll give you access to every insurance company. It's not a, hey, our preferred carrier is this. No, they're not in business with the health insurance companies. They do business with the health insurance companies. AUIinfo.com. Chat, type it in. Here's what I have. Here's what I'm paying. What do you think? Am I getting a good deal? That simple. Here, we're getting ready to have a baby. Here's the insurance I have. Do they have good maternity benefits? I want to go to this hospital. Is it in my network? This is my OBGYN. Is he in the network? They always are dropping in and out of network, hospitals and doctors. Copays change. Don't get surprised. Get the answers you need, auiinfo.com. Okay, now we move on to MLB. Rob Manfred, the commissioner, moved the All-Star game out of Atlanta because there's a lot of controversy. I'm going to try not to be political. There's a lot of controversy about the Georgia voting rights bill, which, uh, I mean, it's... You can think I'm being political, but it expands early voting. It just does. I know that's not the story you're hearing, but it does expand early voting. But it also requires an ID, and a lot of people say, oh, that's trying to suppress the vote. I mean, I don't know. I, can, I can't I can buy anything on PayPal without an ID. I can't get on a plane without an ID. I can't – I'm getting political. Sorry. Anyway, that's why MLB moved it out of Georgia. They didn't move it out of Georgia because of the law. They moved it out of Georgia because people protested the law. And because the president said, yeah, they should move it out of Georgia. Now he's kind of backtracking on that. But anyway, um, Coca-Cola, Delta, probably big sponsors of here's what probably happened. Sponsors called MLB and said, hey, we're getting pushback because of this Georgia law. And you're, you know, you're going to have the all-star game in Georgia and we're going to have our signage all over the game. And there's going to be people out front protesting. And, man, that's a bad look for our company. Like, why don't you move the game? And Manfred's like, well, you know, I got to keep my sponsors happy. So, OK, let's move the game. So he moved the game to Colorado. But when you really dig into it, the economic impact for Georgia is now gone. And Georgia is, is there another city in America that has a higher population of African-Americans than Georgia? I mean, it's over 50%. And you think of your beer vendors, your cotton candy vendors, your stadium workers, your ushers. A lot of, a lot of people who didn't have baseball last year 
with tons and tons of fans, so there was no need to have them at games. Lost a lot of money. They're looking forward to making the coin off an all-star game that they would make. So it's intentioned probably to avoid controversy, but now people are going, oh, holy cow, like this hurts. So Manfred panicked. Uh, He's getting ripped by Faye Vincent. Here's the real, let me just keep this in a narrow parameter of the sports, of the sports realm. I don't think it serves sports or sports fans well to allow the games to be co-opted as political issues, as political leverage, as political sledgehammers by either side, by either side. It didn't go well for the NFL when the... uh, but here's the here's the here's the tough part of this. You also have no business, and I would never sanction restricting the freedom of individual players, team executives, anybody to speak out about their personal beliefs. So I don't know how you reconcile those two. Honestly, we live in a time where we just politicize everything. We argue about everything. We are we are devoted to um, to discord which I'll touch on in a moment, the faith portion of the podcast. So I'm not for telling LeBron, shut up and dribble. LeBron's free to talk if he wants to, but LeBron is also subject to, if he says something, the consequences of that bearing an economic consequence for him, for his brand, for his team, for his league. Same with baseball. They've made their decision. Now you as a consumer get to make your decision. You get to decide whether, all right, um, I'm not buying any MLB gear. I'm not going to any MLB games. I'm not watching any MLB games on TV. What level, if you are if you even care, maybe you buy a ton more stuff because, hey, I like what they did. That's your choice. I have a friend who, <laughs> he's the most dyed-in-the-wool baseball fan I know. Like, he's a grown dude, and he geeks out on baseball. He's like a different guy on the first day of baseball season. I had breakfast with him yesterday. And just out of the blue, he says, I canceled my MLB package. His favorite team is a is an out-of-town team. He's not going to be able to watch them. And he lives and dies with them. And I was like, wow. And he said, I just don't support, you know, MLB making it a political issue. He didn't argue on the truth or lies of the politics of it. He just said, I don't want it to be a political issue. I just want to enjoy the game. And that's what I've been think that's where I think would be better for all sports if they could just enjoy the game. You know, um, I think college athletics has taken a big chance with name, image, and likeness. Is it the right thing? Yeah, sure. You can argue it is. I've probably argued it is. Players should get paid. But I don't know that fans are going to be at peace with some of these numbers that I see are nuts. I really don't know how to monetize Instagram, but I'll t- I'll say this: I don't think it'll be good for college athletics if college athlete college athletes are known to be making a half a million dollars a year or more. I think, you know, up to a hundred thousand, maybe. I think it's going to be hard for factory workers, farmers, uh, everyday Joes, and schmoes who are struggling to make ends meet, we look at college athletes differently than we do pro athletes. We have a different standard for criticizing college athletes because they're, quote-unquote, just kids. Well, if they're making six hundred grand, I don't think people are going to look at them as just kids. I really don't. And so I think colleges, again, I'm not saying don't do it. I'm saying I understand why you're doing it. I understand why MLB made this decision. I understand why the NBA is deeply immersed in politics. I understand it. And true true confession, I embrace certain athletes that share my beliefs. <laughs> All two or three of them. But do is it good for the sport? And is it good for the country and the tenor of conversation in the country for everybody to know what everybody thinks? You know, there's an old saying, don't meet your heroes, kids. When LeBron, Tom Brady, I'm trying to pick guys who are on both ends of the spectrum. When we know where they stand on everything, 
the reason people say don't meet your heroes is implied there's going to be something about them you don't like. And you're not going to be able to look at them the same way. There's an innocence to sports. Hero worship. Idol worship. Little eye. You know? That's That makes us fall in love with sports. And I think the more we know, it's bound to be true that the less we're going to like the people and the less you like the people, the less you're going to like the professional sport they play. And college athletics is a professional sport if we get to name, image, and likeness. Okay. Uh, I can only imagine how much money the lawyers will make off name, image, and likeness, but not my guys at Willis Spangler Starling or the gals at Willis Spangler Starling. No, name, image, and likeness is not something they traffic in. They are into things that cross with your life. Wills estate planning, probate, employment law, social security disability, personal injury, all those things. If you need an attorney, and right now you're going, I don't need an attorney, sometime probably you will. You'll find yourself the object of a legal action or the victim of an infringement on your legal rights, and you'll want to know, wow, what do I do now? You don't like to look in desperation, right? You like to look when you can make a reasonable choice. So go to their website, willisattorneys.com. Get to know them. Read their core values. Watch their videos where the partners explain who they are, what they do, and why they do it. That's the most important part. Why they do it. What's their motivation? You're going to like them. I trust them with all my legal situations. My wife asked me last night a question that I'm going to put to my friends at Willis Spangler Starling today about ordering our affairs in a certain way. So they're my go-to, and I can't give anybody a higher recommendation than they are my personal go-to. The whole business of this podcast, the whole thrust of the podcast, the whole thrust of my radio show, the whole thrust of my sports shows over the years has been what? Give you my best recommendation, whether it's a restaurant, whether it's a TV show, whether it's a, an opinion on a sports take, whether it's insight into a sports take. The endorsements on this podcast are the same way. I do business with all four of the sponsors of this podcast, CBD Health Collection, Hemisphere Coffee Roasters, AUIinfo.com, and Willis Spangler Starling. So I would appreciate you patronizing them, of course, so they continue to support the podcast, but more so because I want to see their businesses prosper because they're good people. And I like good people to succeed. And if you favor me with your time watching and listening to this podcast, then I appreciate that. And then one of the nice things I can do for you, besides share what I hope is inspiring and enlightening and encouraging content on the faith portion of the podcast, is to say, hey, if you need this, go with this person. If you need this, go with this person. This person is somebody you can trust. This person is somebody who has a great product. This is a product you'll enjoy. So that's why we have sponsors on the podcast because, yes, I am an inveterate capitalist, an unrepentant capitalist, but I also truly and genuinely believe these are good people and your life will be better if you associate with them. Okay. In the faith portion of the podcast today, I sat in my chair, my favorite lazy boy chair, courtesy of ESPN Cleveland. They didn't want it anymore, so I brought it home. Uh, with their blessing, I didn't lift it out of there, steal it. Nope. Thank you, Kelly, for telling me I could take the chair. Um, I sat in my chair and I prayed, Lord, give me something today to share with the people who listen to the podcast. And I was thinking about our culture and I reflected back on something that I, um, talked about yesterday with my friends at breakfast. And we're talking about the gospel of Jesus in the aftermath of Easter and how we can get other people more engaged in it and activated in it and motivated to share it and grow it and its influence in the world and the comfort that it offers. And all that is antithetical to most of culture today. We are in a culture that... Um, has a ongoing clash between God's design for our lives and what lies Satan tells us about what is the most pleasurable and best way to live our lives, right? We just are. That is the eternal conflict, good and evil, God and Satan. Uh, Jesus, I have characterized as the original man on a mission. He came to earth as a man, 
yet was fully God, to live a sinless life to provide an avenue through which we could be forgiven of our sins because he paid the penalty at the cross. And his message was believed to be upon arrival, but most people expected him to be an earthly conqueror, somebody who would rid the earth of Roman rule, somebody who would use power and might and majesty to take over. Instead, he preached a mission of sacrifice and service and humility and submission. And that's a counterintuitive way. That is why Christ's kingdom is often referred to as an upside-down kingdom. What do we prioritize in this life? Power, prestige, prominence. Jesus prioritized humility, service, sacrifice as a way to demonstrate love to others. So God's way of living, the way he designed it, stands to reason if Jesus came here to do God's work, then Jesus gave us a template, a model for how God wants us to live. But that's not the way Satan wants us to live and encourages us to live and tempts us to live. And why is that? Because Satan's mission is to do what? Get us to live counter to God's plan so we will not experience Christ's forgiveness and therefore not experience fellowship with God in heaven. We will not be part, if you follow Satan's lies, we will not be part of God's kingdom. We will be part, if we do those things, if we prioritize power, prestige, money, prominence, we'll be selfish, we'll be self-centered, we'll have pride, we'll be arrogant, We'll always be clamoring for more. We won't have contentment. And we'll end up in Satan's kingdom, in hell. Everybody's going one of two places. You're either spending eternity with God in heaven, or you're spending eternity in the lake of fire in the midst of constant torment with Satan. That's the battle we're fighting right now. And every person who's ever lived has been fighting that battle. So, we live in a culture that celebrates self, right? Go get it. If it feels good, do it. Um, All these kinds of mantras that elevate self. And we're seeing this play out in societal issues that conflict with the way God tells us to live. You can think that this is intolerant and not very progressive and not very unifying and not very uh, diverse and does not further equity, but transgenderism is what? Rebellion against who God made you to be. We're all made in God's image. We serve a sovereign God who does not make mistakes. Why would you serve a God? Why would you worship a God that's fallible. No, you would worship a God. The only God worth worshiping is an infallible God. So a God who makes you as male or female is not a God who made a mistake. Why do you feel like a male? Why do you, if born a biological man, feel like a woman? Not because God made a mistake, because Satan is lying to you and he is planting seeds in your mind that are counter to God's plan for your life. Why, does, why do people say, well, I have same-sex attraction? Now, same-sex attraction is not a sin. Acting on same-sex attraction is a sin. God's Word says in many places, you can't do it. Don't do it. I'm not in enforcement. I'm in advertising, okay? I'm telling you what this says about acting on same-sex attraction, Start in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, and you will read from the 18th verse of that chapter to the end of the chapter a 100% on-target description of life in the world right now. It's all right there. It was written centuries ago, but it's all right there, and it's all playing out just as the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 1, verses 18 to the end. So... We are tempted, though. Satan tempts us. He twists the truth. 
the truth of I'm a, I'm born a man. I'm a man. No, you feel like a woman. You're a woman. I'm I'm not heterosexual. I'm homosexual. No, God didn't make you that way. He says it's God says it's a, a, an abomination. God would not make you in a way and equip you with something that would take you away from having fellowship with him. So there's deliverance from every temptation. There's forgiveness for every sin through Christ at the cross. But this is a, as I said, an upside-down kingdom, a counterintuitive kingdom. The, the wisdom of man, the Bible says, is foolishness to God. God says, my ways, not Bruce Hooley's ways, but God's ways, I'm speaking as God here, my ways are higher than your ways. They're above your ways. You don't understand. You can't understand the complexity of how I think and what I do and the tapestry of how I weave human events together. Man cannot understand that. But what, a, what makes us think we can? What makes us think we know better than God? Pride, right? Our pride. Why is Satan a former angel in hell? What was Satan's sin? Pride. He wanted to be God. What was Eve's sin? What was original sin? Pride. I know God said, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but I really want to. What I want is above what God tells me are the parameters for my life, the boundaries for my life, the limitations of my life. Eve's sin, well, first, Satan's sin was Eve's sin is our sin. We know better. We feel different. We want what God says we cannot have. It's an age-old conflict playing out in many different ways. So I share often on this podcast a verse that came to me again today. Proverbs 1, 9. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Discipline is boundaries, parameters, limitations. To respect those is to have discipline. You need, when you are tempted, to access God's power, which is fearing God, reverencing Him, esteeming Him, prioritizing Him, submitting to Him, saying, yes, I know you know better than I do. I don't feel that way, but I know you know better than I do, so I'm going to do what you say, not what I want to do. That's the fear of the Lord. Then you won't despise the discipline of parameters. So serving God, accepting Christ, and then authenticating your acceptance of Christ's forgiveness at the cross via your actions is an exercise in discipline. It is. The power for that discipline comes only from the Holy Spirit inside you. We're not capable of exercising that discipline in our human strength. And people who don't have the Holy Spirit, don't have God's power in their life, don't have the ability to triumph over those sins that continue to dog us and tempt us and tell us, no, you go for this, go for it, man, you deserve it, it's good for you. If it feels good, do it. That's who you are, that's your identity. Don't pay attention to what God says about you. Yeah, don't pay attention to the God who prioritized hanging out with you in eternity so much that he sent his son to die for you. Who really loves you? Satan who wants you to spend eternity with him in eternal torment? Or God who sent his son to die for you so that you could be forgiven and live forever with him? There's no comparison. There's no comparison between those two things. None. So I know it sounds like all these things like discipline and denial and submission and humility sound like restrictive things. But the counterintuitive nature of the upside-down kingdom of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that it is freeing to live according to a standard of objective truth. What's easier to hit, a moving target or a stationary target? A stationary target, right? So doesn't it stand a reason that your life is going to be more ordered, more pleasant, more calm when you establish 
when you purpose to agree that God has established objective truth. There is truth. There's no my truth, your truth. When it's my truth and your truth, that's opinion. That's your opinion. It's not your your truth is not your is not the truth. It's opinion. Living by establishing in your mind, setting, like the Bible says, set it, like concrete, a post in concrete. It's immovable. You set that the truth of God is that there is objective truth. He does tell me how to live. He establishes parameters and boundaries for my life. And I'm telling you from my personal experience, having lived for way too many years, for three plus decades, chasing happiness and the next big thing and the better job and the prettier girlfriend and the more money and the bigger house and the better car. And I mean, Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived said that is a chasing after the wind. You ever caught the wind? No, you never will. You'll always be miserable chasing the wind, chasing power, prominence, prestige, wealth. But God establishes objective truth as that, as that base, as that safe base to cling to, to look to, to be strengthened by, to order your life by. So you're not swayed and buffeted and wondering, eh, what is, what is, what is truth? Pilate, who had all the power of Rome, said to Jesus, what is truth? Pilate was lost. Pilate had, had it all going, right? People falling down at his feet and worshiping him, and he had authority and power and prestige and wealth and prominence. And who had peace? Jesus, who was about to be crucified, or Pilate? Jesus had that peace. Why? Because Jesus was in God's plan. He was rooted to God's truth. And that's what I want for you. That's what I want for you. You know, it's um, it's a great lie of Satan. It's a, it's, a, it's a successful lie that the grass is always greener. It's not greener where Satan tells you it's greener. It's brown where Satan tells you to graze. You'll find green grass only one place, at the foot of the cross, submitting to Jesus, accepting his sacrifice as the payment for your sins, and then authenticating that with your acceptance of God's objective truth and living your life, ordering your life according to his plan for how to live. I know it's counterintuitive. It's upside down. You think it's restrictive. It's not restrictive. It's freeing. You think it's limiting. It's not limiting. Uh, you think you think it's limiting. It's not li- limiting. It's freeing. You think chasing after all the things Satan tells you to chase is freeing. It's not freeing. It's enslaving. I've been there. I've been both places. So I know. And I hope that you will understand where I'm coming from on that. And take these words to heart because I do not want you to be at the end of your life and realize, wow, Bruce was right. I was wrong. God was right. Satan was wrong. It'll be too late then. So, there's a verse in Proverbs that says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all thy ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Doesn't mean your path won't be uphill sometimes. Straight paths can be uphill. Doesn't mean your path won't be difficult at times. There can be obstacles in your path, but your path will be straight. From this life to life eternal with the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father. That's my fondest wish for you. It's why I do the podcast. It's why I hope you'll send me an email. We tackle life at gmail.com to let me know what you think of the podcast. And please, as always, patronize the good people who support this podcast. I am going to start posting the faith only portion of this podcast on the Bruce Hooley YouTube channel. So look for those. Uh, distribute my. I also am going to start a faith pod, uh, the faith portion of the podcast as a standalone podcast. So if you don't want to deal with all the sports stuff, you can get the faith portion alone. So look for that. Uh, I'd be open to names for the podcast. If you'd like to submit a name, 
wetacklelife at gmail.com, wetacklelife at gmail.com. And I will talk to you on Friday. Have a great middle of your week, and we'll see you then.